0: Mmm, baby milk Mmm, baby milk today on from a to ziggy baby can dance welcome to from a to ziggy the podcast where we listen to every david bowie song in alphabetical order from a to ziggy and then we talk about it and anything else that happens to pop up my name is travis my
1: name is thomas and welcome to our episode about Baby Can Dance. Boy, can she. Boy, can she. And with two different tempos, in fact. Yes. She can switch from a kind of a, like a, a jaunty step to a, 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 whatever you call a faster jaunty step. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, it's funny. So that's one of the things I really liked about this song. It's like one of those little like pop music pleasures of mine when a song's just like very frantic. And then the chorus just gets like big and spacious, and
1: like every Gary Newman song, like
0: every Gary Newman song. And it was funny; that I, I, really, that was one of the things that, about the song that I really liked. And then I go, you know, part of the process that I get a kick out of is going and reading other people's reviews after.
1: And that was so on the main page that you usually use that you now have me kind of hooked on Chris O'Leary's blog. Yeah, uh, pushing ahead of the Dame, awesome blog by the way, listener, check it oh, out. It's so thorough. I love it. So thorough cut it to shreds, hated
0: it, absolutely hated that aspect of the song and just generally, like, hates Tin Machine in
1: general. (laughs) (laughs) I, 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 yeah, I guess it's got a very different flavor Tin Machine does than, than your, your regular vanilla David Bowie. Yeah. (laughs) Your non-Tin Machine, your organic. Your more organic Bowie. David Bowie. Your free-range Bowie. (laughs) And I get it, like, so my
0: experience with Tin Machine so far through these three songs. And so far, I, I dig Tin Machine. I like these Tin Machine songs. But, like, I can see why some people wouldn't like it as much lyrically. some You know, it, it tends to range from so abstract that you're just, like, I, I don't see where any of these ideas connect. Which is is fun. I like abstract lyrics. But sometimes they're too abstract. You just kind of... Like, All right, this is kind of silly. And also very,
1: very straightforward. This is a, a definitely a more straightforward song. Right. So now, talking about this song again, and listener, you don't know this yet, but we actually recorded an episode about this song last week, and due to a technical glitch, it was all erased. So now I'm trying to remember whether we talked about this on an episode that aired, or we talked about this in, you know, In the previously. future. <laughs>
0: well,
1: <laughs> or in an alternate timeline yeah. where that episode actually came out. So I
0: find myself racking my brain like all right,
1: what what was what was an important point that I hit on the last one that I want to try and hit on again? Or did what? I talk about this before or have you guys heard this before? I don't know, but I think one of the things about Ten Machine was that Bowie was encouraged by the other guys in the band to just let loose and fly with the lyrics and to not edit himself as much as he usually does on his solo stuff and just, just go with the first draft, yeah. basically. So you'd, he would come out with Stranger Things. And also there are other lyrical contributions from the rest of the band. So it's it's got a different flavor. It does. But I'll also very
0: of the time.
1: Yeah, right. A lot of it's... like the alt-rock music in the early 90s was, yeah, was like, sounded like, like A lot of the other stuff that was about to The Nirvana, yeah, but... the Beck... Yeah, look, look of, at any number of any number of early
0: '90s those bands that were like influenced by the Pixies and everything. The Pixies, the Pixies themselves. Yeah, just very lots of meandering guitars and feedback and noise, which I'm a big sucker for. Which is probably
1: why, even though a lot of other people are like Tin Machine sucks, I'm like, yeah, Tin Machine, Tin Machine's awesome. Um, it's a good sound, and I think everybody yeah. acknowledges that uh, that it's. So at least, at least we know Kurt Cobain was a fan. Right? Yeah, I think it's hard to deny that it was that it had you know had some influence, had some impact on the grunge scene. Yeah, even if it didn't invent grunge. Yeah, but uh, although we'd like to claim it,
0: did. basically every time David Bowie does something, we have to claim
1: he reinvented the wheel with it. Even though it invented grunge. Yeah, even though he clearly invented grunge. Yeah, how can you deny the impact that uh, Tin Machine had? Yeah, sure, they didn't sell too well. They weren't topping the charts. They were not topping the charts. Um, but that was also kind of the point, right? Yeah, it was getting back to killing the
0: pop star. Yeah, It was like his, what, fourth or fifth iteration of, I want to kill what I've just been doing for the last couple of years and just do something completely different. Now I can't remember. This one from Tin Machine One or Tin Machine Two? This one is the closing track from Tin Machine One. Right. And you know, I think one of the things that may have hurt the reception for this album because he he was kind of implying that this was getting back to his prime, kind of disowning a lot of the stuff that had happened after Scary Monsters, mm. and kind of looking at it as a closer to a follow up to Scary Monsters than anything else that had come out maybe had people anticipating that era Bowie, the Scary Monsters era, dark pop,
1: and were probably really pissed off when they put this album in and heard Noise Rock. There's something about the sound of this album that, again, I think I talked about in the the alternate universe version of this episode. It's got a really comforting sound to me.
0: Mm, yes, people, the great reverb debate.
1: Yeah, people talk about the reverb in this album, and some people uh, speak speak negatively about the reverb, but I've always really liked it. I, that's really been the thing that uh, really sold it for me uh, because it's kind of nostalgic for me. Like I, th- I told the story and forgive me if I'm telling it twice. That's okay. It's
0: a good story. It's I a shame I'm... if I'm the only one who ever hears it. So <laughs> I
1: think I'm only telling it once actually. But when I, when I was growing up, my best friend lived across a body of water from this club that would do live music and it was usually you know um, rock club rock and it was you know this loud guitar driven and it would echo across the water over to his house on weekends I would spend the night there and we would hear the music playing from across the water and something about the way that it echoes from that distance across the water and then echoes behind the building onto the trees and then echoes back to us. It's got this certain quality to it that uh, a really open quality to it. And and I really liked At the time, it was just background noise, but there's something about li- going back and listening to this record the first time I heard it. And it just took me back to those days. Um, so
0: I felt kind of, I wasn't completely anti the amount of reverb, but I definitely have It's definitely a line for me as to like a really good amount of reverb to like add some atmosphere and just so much reverb that it's hard to even pick the sound out. And with this song, I definitely, it wasn't until the second or third listen until I really started to like pull the really meaty parts of the song out. It was kind of like a magic eye for me where I was like, kind of like staring through it and squinting my eyes and then finally be like, oh, it's a pop song. And sometimes with albums when they, put so much reverb. It almost feels like it's like a crutch for the producer. Like, I want to put my mark on this somehow that everyone will notice and I want to have my style and sometimes if you don't really have... I mean, I do I, I, who, who produced this one? This was Tim Palmer. This was Tim Palmer. I'm going to take a look at his... So yeah, I, I don't think I have any of these albums that he's produced, but some some producers do that kind of thing. It's, it's an
1: element like... of the sound for Tim Machine. Or yeah. at least... At least this first album, I don't remember if the second one uses it as much.: yeah. I think it's just part of their sound. It's just part of the sound. And maybe that comes more from,
0: yeah, just like the inner workings of the band, or maybe they just want. They do or the clearly
1: bands. want it to be like challenging music, and maybe that's kind of It sounds big. It does sound very big. Like again, you're outdoors, you know, listening to something from, <laughs> something from the distance that, that, that makes enough noise that you have to be. Listening to it from a distance, like in uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where they have to play the song. For the people on the planet, they have these giant stacks of speakers, um, and it's too dangerous for the band themselves to be up on stage, so they (laughs) perform it from orbit, and everybody that's within a certain range of the speakers, their ears bleed and heads explode, or whatever it is. Anyway, it's like that. It's like that. So that's like... like (laughs) That actually might be a pretty accurate
0: depiction of Tin Machine. Not to get too down on because, like, I really like this song. It's just so... Oh, God, it's so hooky. And, like, I do love big, loud rock music with a good hooky chorus. Yeah, it's... At least with this one versus another Tin Machine song that we'll be talking about at some point in the very near future. <laughs> Lyrically, this one didn't feel too sloppy or anything like that it was you know it's a pretty straightforward song so i think in, in our alternate universe one we were trying to figure out if this is a positive song or a negative song yeah where did we come down on that i think we were still undecided so <laughs> on the one hand he's talking about you know these things that he can't do or the other people can't do but the baby can but also kind of sounds kind of like with andy warhol when he like sound makes it sound like childish
1: Like Like a character, like a puppet,
0: yeah. Where you know, baby can touch her toes, toss her hair. You know, with songs, I think the difference between baby and the baby sometimes sounds it's well, it gives it a whole different tone. So, like in the chorus, we're talking, you know, baby can dance, baby can walk around the town, attract a man and cut him down, which is a super badass line. Right, makes you feel like you're talking about this really strong, independent, doesn't take any crap kind of lady. You know what? I'm gonna recant. The more I'm thinking about it, the baby, and at least in this case, kind of makes it sound like she's like almost notorious,
1: like that's her criminal
0: nickname. Yeah, or like she's, she's just known in the, in this like in this particular community, let's say, as this like takes no crap, badass lady. I almost pick her. I picture like a Joan Jet type, leather jacket. Yeah. So I'm gonna say firmly that this is a positive.
1: I'm a little less firm about that. The more I think about the lyrics themselves, it's, I don't know, there's a certain condemning quality to the way that that he spits that line out, attract a man, and cut him down. There's a lot of emphasis
0: on the cut him down.
1: Yeah, and I I feel like that sounds like the words of a jilted lover, as opposed to a positive, encouraging message. You know, it sounds a little bit more envious or uh, jealous- and then all the bits about touching her toes, tossing her hair, making you feel like you're going nowhere—it seems kind of negative to me. Like um, he's not—he's not too happy with uh, with the behavior of this baby. <laughs> <laughs> Bad baby. <laughs> Bad
0: baby. So this is one that would make a good poll because I would be curious to see what other people think. Is he—is he condemning this girl after having been rejected by her, or? Is he impressed? Oh man, she can attract a guy and cut him down. She gives no craps whatsoever.
1: Yeah. So listener, um, <laughs> head on over to our Facebook page and uh, or the Twitter. However, this poll thing works. Uh, head over to the Facebook page. You'll find a way to like vote on. Yeah what you think of uh of baby can dance is this uh, a positive third wave feminist kind of take on owning your own sexuality or is it is it just a jealous um bro uh <laughs> angrily hashing out whatever futile uh insults he can at the object of his uh failed affection
0: probably it's that one but i want to believe it's it's an admiration, but previous
1: songs we've discussed I would mean say otherwise. There's, there's so much of listening to music that, you know, once, and it's the same for any kind of art, once it's actually out there, it's up to you how you want to mm-hmm. interpret it. And I'd love for it to be a more positive and encouraging message. But that doesn't seem to really match with the words or even the ethos of the time. I mean, the late '80s was not, you know, where we are now. It was not like.
0: Yeah, but you're also kind of. I mean, I guess 1991 was still a couple of years away, but like, kind of on the precipice of of the Riot Girl movement. But I guess that really hadn't broken through yet. But I want to believe if I was if I was a girl in my early 20s in 1991. I would listen to this song to get myself all excited to go out and just
1: own it. I think it fulfills... Maybe it fulfills that kind of message in the terms that, uh, that we had in 1988 or uh, 1989.
0: 1989.
1: When this song came out. Know, we just ha- didn't have the, the writing, the feminist literature that came you know, over the intervening 30 <laughs> yeah. years to really codify how... What all of this means, it's a crude kind of sex positive message, yeah but still a little bit flawed.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm not, I'm not holding it up as a feminist anthem or anything, <laughs> but it, it feels less terrible to me than it did previously. Although, if I've learned anything from any other time where I've tried to, to debate about things related to feminism, probably I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Even when I'm, pre- when I'm trying to be right and pretty sure I'm right.
1: No, as, as two as two white males in our early 30s, I'm pretty sure we're both yeah, wrong. we're both wrong, just by default. It. Yeah, otherwise <laughs> we're just
0: awful mansplainers. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so, listener, if you are a non-white, non-male, <laughs> non-early 30s, please send corrections to podcast.com. <laughs> or even if you are all of those things still like set us straight because i know i know that i'm wrong about a lot of this stuff
0: yeah i feel like i probably am a lot of the time
1: too but uh, so back to the baby can dance back to baby can dance back to the dance pretty fun song it is a fun song like a lot of the tin machine stuff from tin machine one it all kind of blends together for me it's all it's all kind of samey um all of the songs are i don't want to say all the songs are great but they're they're all good I don't think there's anything terrible on this album. But a lot of it, you know, I think, and it might have something to do with the reverb, but a lot of it sounds kind of samey to me. And this one kind of blends in with with the rest of the album. It does apparently have, so the rhythm of the guitar is a Bo Diddley beat. Are you familiar with this? Yeah. It's the the thing where, well, like Bo Diddley. Like the song Bo Diddley, Hmm. written by Bo Diddley i love it when an artist names a song after himself or themselves like bad company had yeah. that song bad company on the album bad company or big country had that song big country <laughs> even jane's addiction had a song jane's addiction uh-huh. yeah but so Bo diddley of course uh famously used this one rhythm in was it Every song that he did, or most of the songs that he did, I mean, similar to a lot of the blues of that era,
0: it all—it is all basically like based on one or two guitar riffs and all the interesting things happening around them.
1: Yeah. So this is the—the the rhythm here is the bump, 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 bump. That's the bow Diddley beat. Yeah. And so, of course, there's a song called Bo Diddley where it gets its name from, and then there's. I think probably the most well-known song of his is "Who Do You Love," right?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that that and and Bo Diddley's a pretty well-known song too. He, I think that's the one that he when he went on Ed Sullivan and it was a big deal because he hadn't really had too many black performers on. Yeah. I think that was a song that he did.
1: Yeah, and he had two female guitar players, and they were doing the Bo Diddley beat on the guitars. So, uh, so that's that's part of the song, and. This will come up in future episodes. I didn't know that we were going to do it so early in our progress of songs, but here it comes, right in the bees. Right in the bees. Like right Baby Can Dance, uh, Bo Diddley Beat. The opening guitar riff is kind of a reworked version of uh, that 1988 remake of the song from Lodger, Look Back in Anger. Of course, Reeves Gabrels was involved in that, and that's how Tin Machine sort of got together. Interestingly, that same remake led to another song that'll come up later, the opening song from the Outside album. So yeah, and Reeves Gabrels kind of continues on through Tin Machine and, and appears on that album Outside. So that, that whole progression from the remake of the Lodger song through Tin Machine through Outside, kind of multiple aspects of Look Back and Anger uh, feed into those, those different projects. Um, yeah, so I, tell me what you know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so I guess something that we...
1: I've been talking enough.
0: In, in the alternate universe, and there's not really much to go on beyond this, but the, the elephant in the baby can dance room is the wondering of how much Dirty Dancing got into the subconscious.
1: Oh, that's right. Dirty Dancing. Dirty Dancing.
0: So. All about someone named Baby who can dance.
1: Who's kind of a badass. I still haven't seen Dirty Dancing.
0: Yeah, I haven't gone back and rewatched it in the last like four days. It's, it's Dirty Dancing is one of those movies that I will watch every once in a while. Like when my girlfriend's like, "I sat through so much of your crap. We're gonna watch Dirty Dancing." <laughs> All like, your. Like, I will next time I see Dirty Dancing will probably be after I drag her to multiple viewings of the Ghostbusters movie when it comes out in July. Like, I'll take her, I'll I'll make her go with me like three times that weekend, and then I'll end up having to watch Dirty Dancing,
1: is my prediction. Or Dirty Dancing 2. Or Dirty Dancing 2. Oh, right. The Ghostbusters sequel. Let's watch the Dirty Dancing sequel. Yeah. Oh, god, that's a gratuitous sequel.
0: So yeah, I just Sorry feel like that, that was something that had to come up because that's it's again it's the it's just the elephant in the room. If anyone was listening to this and they think, oh, baby can dance, oh, like Dirty Dancing, oh, they didn't bring that up,
1: right? Yeah, and how well, could they
0: miss that? Yeah,
1: there. So there <laughs> yeah, you listener, it. yeah, showed you. <laughs> I like how we're taking an antagonistic view against yeah. our listeners. You know we love you, don't we you? We Love you. Don't
0: go anywhere. <laughs> we really do.
1: Uh, stick around for, um, our ratings. It's time for ratings. It's time for ratings. Unless there's anything else to say.
0: All right. So what was
1: our... (laughs) we rated this last... We did rate this. We recorded a whole episode. No one will ever know. I have no idea what I gave this song. We probably came up with a unit as well. We probably did. Oh, because we talked about, we talked about Ally McBeal last week. (laughs) Oh my God. I can't (laughs) believe I didn't bring that back up. So... The whole
0: time last week when I was listening to the song and getting myself acquainted with it, all I could think about, with the whole Baby Can Dance thing, was in old episodes of Ally McBeal. I guess that's really the only kind of episodes of Ally McBeal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there
1: are no new episodes. There is no
0: right. new uh, They have not rebooted Ally McBeal yet. 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 So... There was that famous episode where she's like obsessing over her biological clock ticking and she keeps picturing this computer animated baby dancing. It was like the first internet meme in the internet's early infancy, which again is the only kind of infancy. It was just this creepy computer animated baby dancing to Hooked on a Feeling.
1: So Uncanny Valley. Yeah. Very, very creepy looking. It was,
0: yeah. Oh, God, it was so strange. I hated that dancing baby. It was everywhere. It was freaking everywhere. And it
1: was before YouTube, right? Yeah, this was like 10 years before YouTube, maybe. It was like mid to late 90s. It was just this AVI or MPEG video that was circulating around. Yeah. You would like download it on Kazaa or whatever.
0: Lime wire or Bime whatever wire. you
1: were using. As, whatever
0: your vehicle for music slash crippling computer viruses was at that time. <laughs> yeah. And that's what we decided. That's all we're going to use the internet for is stupid memes like this. Oh, God. Yeah, that was when
1: the, the internet was still useful too. Mostly. Yeah, when people
0: actually like used it for information because Gosh, it wasn't internet? like... Yeah, you actually had to go on the internet with a purpose because it was such a process to get on there. Ugh, and it wasn't just something days.
1: you did because you were bored. We should also also mention something about The Shadow Man, but we'll come back to The Shadow Man later on, on a later episode, because it's, uh, it's kind of an allusion to an old song yeah. that was never released until the remake was made. Uh, so that's that. That covers the bullet points that we needed to... <laughs> to double back on. So I, I, I only remembered that because I think our unit last week was Dancing Babies. It might have been Dancing Babies. I feel like maybe it was Dancing Babies.
0: I feel like I gave the song probably
1: three and a half Dancing Babies.
0: It really does hit on all of the little points of what I enjoyed musically back then and what kind of formed all my musical tastes now. And I feel like this album would be far more received if you were looking at it outside of like the David Bowie canon. Hmm. Like if you if someone just gave you this album was like, oh here's this band Tin Machine that I kind of dig, you should check them out. And don't show them the front cover. Yeah. And you didn't tell them, oh, this is David Bowie. Taken on its own, it's a very solid late 80s alternative rock album.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. It is it's still unusual among its peers. But unfortunately for this show, for from A to Ziggy, we kind of we're forced to view it against the canon. Yeah, <clears throat> there's no getting around it. Uh, but I think you're right. I think if you didn't know there was David Bowie involved, I think it, yeah, it, it might it might measure well just on its own merits, and it is good. Like I said, I I enjoyed it, and still do. So I think this is one of the better songs on this album. So I'd also go with three and a half. I probably gave it lower in our alternate timeline, but just thinking about. Kind of what I said just now about all of Tin Machine one sounding kind of samey. This one sort of pulls itself out of that mire, I think, because it's got that cut in tempo. Uh, it just sort of forces you to notice it, yeah. As opposed to the other the other songs, so you notice it in con- by its contrast with the other songs. So, yeah, I'd go with three and a half dancing babies on this one. As grotesque as that sounds, as gruesome, it's grotesque
0: as weird as dancing babies
1: are. I'll take the top half of it and <laughs> you take the, the right. half of that. Together, we've got seven dancing babies. <laughs> uh, all right. So that's going to do it for Baby Can Dance. You can uh, you can follow us on Facebook, From A to Ziggy, uh, on Twitter at From A to Ziggy. From A to you can leave a comment on the page for this episode. Tell us what you thought of Baby Can Dance. Uh, leave a comment about whether you think that this is a positive view or a negative view of said baby um, and there'll also be a Twitter poll or something going on when this episode comes up. What else? Uh, go to iTunes leave us a rating and a review on iTunes because I've heard that that uh, kind of helps. It helps us out Monday right, we're checking back in with baby. yeah we're gonna we're gonna answer the burning question, what way does baby love? We're going to find out that baby loves a particular way. There's a particular way that baby loves. Yeah, uh, on, that's on Monday on From A to Ziggy. Until then, I'm Thomas. And I'm Travis. See you later. Do you remember has It's such an
0: song I've heard a rumor from ground control. Oh no Don't say it's true
1: I say baby can dance as if it's like like giving permission. <laughs> baby can dance. Let baby but, dance. It's kind of like dead can dance. I don't I never really know whether that's supposed to be dead, you know, the dead, like the zombies or the the undead, yeah. the dead can dance like they have permission to dance or if it's like a dance that's the dead can dance like like the can-can? Like they're deceased. just kicking around a can, a can while they're can dancing. Yeah. Or maybe this is a baby can Maybe dance. this is a baby like can the, dance, like, the, like, like condensed can. milk. Like they're yeah. dancing
0: around a can of condensed baby milk. Right.